Greetings, this is Jason Hill, and this is the podcast version of Into the Gap, which airs every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Central on WCGO Radio, 1590 a.m. and 95.9 FM in Chicago. Hey, we're back. This is Mike Sherrick. This is Jason Hill. This is Into the Gap, and welcome. It's Saturday. Hi, good hey, morning, man. everybody. Saturday, July 25th, 2020. Yes. Another wacky week, my friend. I know. I know. You know, I, I'm starting to think that wacky is a new reality, you know? Yeah. Like, it, you can't, it can't get too weird. Like, I saw, did you see the thing where uh, Mike Tyson is coming back and going to be boxing again? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, people just are, people's <laughs> thinking have become distorted. They're yeah. delusional, you know. Um, well, you know, I think I, I, I love Mike Tyson because he's so nuts, right? And and I saw this thing about Tyson coming back, and I'm going, oh, well, of course, that makes perfect sense now, right? <laughs> yeah. Why well, wouldn't he come back? I mean, huh? You know, I mean, our culture entertains all sorts of illusions and, and, and delusions and, yeah. and uh, wishful thinking and magical thinking. And, and, and we, we, so many of us live in these little curated bubbles. Yeah. Where our wills and our wishes just become reality. Why not? Well, come on, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> He's fighting Roy Jones. So a 53-year-old guy is fighting a 51-year-old guy. Can't you see that like in a Walmart parking lot almost every day? You know? It's it's something that belongs on the Animal Channel. <laughs> and I know I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. And I don't give a rat's ass. But, you know, it's it, it would make really prime time for the Zoo Channel. Well, they, they have something called Planet Earth or the Animal oh, Channel. Man. I know. That's where these people should be fighting, these these matches yeah turn on the animal channel because i don't know what proper rational thinking human being would want to make a spectacle of themselves uh, um listen they're getting paid i'm sure they're getting paid yeah. a lot it's a pay-per-view yeah, event and i'm sure it's gonna do really really well because we are living in the land of bizarre and again yeah. that's what like right before we got started you know I, I told you about the thing at rutgers i just read it i just read it is that I amazing well, I've been writing about this. I wrote an article <laughs> about the use of Karen. Uh-huh. But yeah, let's talk about this. And, yeah. and, and who's who's behind this? Black Lives Matter. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? That the use of the English language is racist. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure. See, I don't, I don't know if Black Lives Matter is behind it, or this is the pandering to Black Lives Matter that's going on that is dominating the world today. Well, they're standing in, in they're standing in 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 solidarity with Black Lives Matter. But this is yeah, you know, uh, you know, Mike, I, you remember this article? I think I shared it with you. Mm-hmm. Were asked two years ago to the federal government to shut down the universe, to defund and shut down most of the humanities and the social sciences because of what I call the balkanization of the humanities. The, that that our universities are no longer learning bastions of learning centers; they're indoctrination centers, and because of the nihilism. Mm-hmm. The rampant nihilism yeah. that is taking place. Yeah. Now, so this is a symptom of the nihilism that is taking place. That that asking people to write in standard English is racist and imperialistic. I'm, I'm, I read the article twice now. Um, it, this I'm speechless, and I'm not speechless. <laughs> You're never speechless, but you've got to be incredulous. And it, in, in, in Jason, especially for someone like you, I, w- I would think this is a direct attack at your training. The discipline you've demonstrated, your writing, uh, the approach you have toward communication, and the yes. approach you have toward education and the communication of ideas and thoughts to other people. Yes, it's got to be a direct attack at that. It's it's a it's you know it's it's an assault. Yeah, 
it's uh it, but but i tell you what we're going to go back to a gilded system in this country and those social ballasts mm-hmm. are going to be cast on the dustbin of history mm-hmm. as the ignoble junk heap that they really are yeah these people who are buying into this crap yeah. are going to get left behind because you know the real people who hold power in this country mm-hmm. right are going to have their children educated in standard english yeah they're not buying any of this crap and those people are going to wield power they're going to they're going to dominate the institutional the powers of institutional infrastructures of this country mm-hmm. and you're going to have a vast underclass who are we talking about black kids hispanic kids poor white kids yeah are now told you don't have to learn standard english they're going to be irrelevant in every respect we're going to go back to a gilded age i can just see it i i think what we're 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 actually you know there again this is again another attack at the middle class this is another attack at the real gift i see in america is the ability to be born into any social sector and mm-hmm. have the ability to work your way out of it you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the greatest stories of all time is you come into Atlanta with 20 bucks, 120, yeah, 120 bucks. Yeah. I mean, that's remarkable because that wasn't right. $120 in 1820. It was $120 right. in 1985. Yes. You know, and, and so that's, you know, I, I'm afraid those types of opportunities are, are not as prevalent anymore. And what's worse is the mentality to seek those opportunities is being diminished especially by young people. Mm-hmm. And when you start training young people that things like uh, communicating in proper English is no longer necessary, mm-hmm. it, you, you know, when, when we look at, when we talk about um, systemic racism, okay? Yeah. What are one of the things that, that identifies and, and, and gets people eliminated from job opportunities and, 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 and uh, uh, business opportunities? It's the way you communicate. Yeah. And if you it, it, and what I mean, and we communicate in all different ways, our appearance, the way we speak, the way we listen, how we how we take in information. And if we're not versatile in that area and if we can't speak to the people we're talking to, it, it really creates a barrier for opportunity for whoever the person is, mm-hmm. be it black, white, Hispanic, purple, green, polka dot. I don't care. Yes. You know, yes. And, and that's why I saw that. I just I'm just like. One of my friends goes, this is a satire, right? Uh, unfortunately, it's not. No. This is brewing from the 1960s when these postmodern uh, nihilists came in and, 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 and set up advocacy, replaced scholarship with advocacy. Yeah. And you had the whole politicization. You know, it started with, it started with women's studies, queer studies, sure. gay studies, whatever we want to call yeah. it, um, ethnic studies, all these disciplines that yeah. are not real disciplines. Yeah. They're programs that are politicized, that have a political agenda to politicize the classroom and introduce social justice issues instead of scholarship. And uh, because they have no foundational background to them, um, we're seeing the end results of something like this, where you, you, you abolish standard English in the classroom. Yeah. I've got a question for you. Yeah. Uh, we hear this term social justice, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it occurs like it's an absolute because if you, are, if you are not standing for what is identified as social justice in the moment, clearly you are a racist, a xenophobe, a homophobe, a misogynist, fill in the blank, right? Mm-hmm. What does social justice really mean? 
Well, today it means nothing. It's today. Okay. Well, today it's a conceptually empty term. I mean, in the old days, we used to talk about concepts mm -hmm. in real terms, individual rights mm -hmm. for people, their civil rights, their civil liberties. We used to talk in terms of real concepts. Like if you violate my rights, my right to my bodily integrity, mm -hmm. you're violating my right. Yeah. Whether we, whether we believed in uh, uh, the concept or not, people talk about disparities um, in wealth. People talk about economic mm -hmm. equality. And, you know, you could debate about that, whether that's sure. even possible in a free society. Right. This notion of social justice is used really, I think, as a misnomer to attack any kind of perceived offense, mm -hmm. slight um, disparity that is almost uh, insuperable, irremovable. Uh, it's it's used as a as a by the woke fascist, I think, to yeah. wield a weapon of yeah. tyranny. Um, here you see it now. Social justice is being applied to those individuals who feel that learning the English language is an incursive, racist, imperialist move against yeah. their agency. Yeah, I see social justice as being the political cudgel of the, the woke against anybody who questions or refuses to comply with their momentum. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, when, they go in, when the going gets rough, you can always see Lori Lightfoot pull that out and hide behind it, you know. Um, yeah, it's just... It's remarkable to me. And it's, it, it, you know, it, social justice and the term Black Lives Matter are like two things that should be inarguable, right? But they've created these things, they've weaponized them so that if you raise any questions and don't follow behind, it, it's like when they have these pork programs in Congress and there's like this one item that's really good and it's loaded with all this BS and you vote against it and it makes you look bad. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the same thing that's going on here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 oh, it, it cracks me up, man. Yeah. Yeah. You've got me fired up this morning with this article. I know. Uh, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to blog about it. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I, I want to go on. I have all these media contacts that are, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to be on the, the circuit next week. Um, yeah. You might see me on Tucker. <laughs> That'd be awesome. We're going to have to um, take a break real soon, but uh, all right. let's, I want to come back. And when we come back, I want to talk about, um, all of the residual Black Lives Matter stuff that's going on um, and, and really kind of break down because you're, you're kind of an expert on the Black Lives Matter movement and what, where it works and where it doesn't work. And I want to talk I want to talk about that a little bit because it's it's kind of in the air we drink and the water we breathe right now. And yeah. uh, so we'll be back in a couple minutes. This is Mike and Jason. This is Into the Gap. This is WCGO Chicago. Hey, we're back. This is Mike Sherrick, Jason Hill. This is Into the Gap. So, man, um, I didn't mean to. Well, I did mean to fire you up about. I, I knew you'd go nuts when you saw the Rutgers thing. Um, yeah, I've been. I've been writing about this stuff for years. Yeah, you know what, what kind of freaks me out a little bit about it. It's a publicly funded university. That's Rutgers is like you know New Jersey State. The federal government should shut down, shut the university, defund the entire university. Whatever federal funds it's getting. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see three articles right now. Oh, well, you, you know, the thing is, is I, I have often uh, struggled with the challenges of grammar and proper English. So I saw this at first. I thought, oh, wow, my, man, you know, the world's coming to me. But uh, having uh, authored a book and uh, soon to author another one, uh, I realized that I, I the bar doesn't need to be lowered. I need to raise my bar, you know, to actually. Look, yeah. 
yeah, Mike, there's nothing wrong with slang and there's nothing wrong with beautiful American colloquial speech. Right. right? I mean, I, I just happen to speak in a formal way because that's how I was brought up. Well, yeah. But there, but American colloquial speech and idioms, that they have always been a part and parcel of the American identity. Yeah. Right. I mean, immigrants have come to this country and have matriculated through the public schools and have learned English, not by enrolling in free federally funded English language programs, but on the streets. Yep. Uh, in the public schools, and their English is impeccable. There's, you, a, you, there's a place for that. You, you know, it's one of the one of the coolest things. I've got a really good friend who's Taiwanese, right? And yeah. she's just one of the coolest humans I've ever met, and I, I just really, really enjoy her. And she speaks very proper English, and she speaks uh, Mandarin and Cantonese. Mm-hmm. And um, and you know me, I'm I'm always either speaking in slang or in idioms or in some type of uh, you know, metaphor, you know? Mm-hmm. So half of what I say doesn't land for her. And so she's always asking me, you know, like, uh, you know, break it down. And it's, it's really interesting because I get to see kind of these common phrases that I use and I know what they mean, but then you got to explain them. So it actually aids in my communication. And if she learns how to speak about, you know, learns wacky English, you know, so right. it, it's actually pretty cool. You're, but the point is, it's you're so right. That's how, that's how people get integrated and learn how to speak the language, you know? Right. And, you know, coming from a country where they speak a local dialect, uh, mm-hmm. I'm all for bilinguality, right? So yeah. it, it, there's nothing wrong with speaking Creole or Patois or whatever mm-hmm. the local dialect is. But, mm-hmm. but and, and you want to be in your living room and playing dominoes or cards with your friends and, mm-hmm. and laps into it. And that's fine. But you should you should be bilingual because English is the language of commerce. English is a yeah. universal language, right? Yeah. And you want to disqualifying and, and disadvantaging yourself if you are incapable. Well, and that, of- that's exactly it because, you know, in, in most of the world trade centers across the globe, la- English is the language that is used, proper English is the language that's used in, right. in contracts and in, in most business agreements. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. If, if you don't understand that, you're going to put yourself at a complete disadvantage, which I think this is what so much of what's going on here when we talk about structural racism, I think is really more about economics and economic opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's behind the thing. And, and when we're looking for social programs and handouts and all this stuff, people just, people want to get paid, you know? Mm-hmm. And the best way to get paid is go do meaningful work and provide it for yourself. But if that's not available, then we'll take handouts from the government. Yeah. You know, but so let's, I want to get into the the Black Lives Matter thing. I I mean, it's inarguable that black lives matter as much as anyone else's. The lives of black people. The lives of black people. The lives of black people matter. That's, that's, that's not even up for question. And I, I, you know, I must admit that I'm sure there have been times where that has not always been. Mm-hmm. You know, where people have looked over or discounted or disregarded or didn't hear the concern and complaints for whatever reason they didn't. My guess mm-hmm. is mostly indifference, but I'm sure from a black person's perspective, it can occur as racism, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no doubt that that exists. That's inarguable, you know, and we have to continue to work on and create an environment where the black people are heard where they have no question anymore that their lives matter as much as mine or yours or anyone else's, right? But this organization, BLM Inc., 
mm-hmm. that is driving the social and political narrative right now uh, concerns me. And, and you've got some expertise in it. Love for you to share yeah, I mean, in my book, We Have Overcome, I have a whole chapter on it. I mean, it's a nefarious uh, 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 cryptic movement that uh, if you read the charter and you read the, the manifesto, um, has nothing to do with Black lives no. at all. It has to do with the dismantling of the United States of America. It calls for the breakup of U.S. banks, the breakup of the demolition of capitalism. Uh, it calls for the obliteration, if not the outright obliteration, it accuses Israel of being a genocidal apartheid yeah. state. Um, it calls for um, free education for all blacks. I don't know why free education for all blacks, but not for Native Americans or poor working class mm-hmm. uh, white people. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 it is... Doesn't it speak to also basically the elimination of nuclear family? Yeah, yeah, right. It, quest- it questions that. So it is a cultural, cultural, culturally. It is a it is a cultural Marxist movement. Yeah. Let's just be blunt about it. Yeah. Um, it has all the aims and aspirations of the, the cultural Marxists. And you see, you see, for those of, of the listeners who think that this is being made up in the article that we just read, that mm-hmm. we just talked about, which yeah. is in the, the Washington Beacon, about Rutgers eliminating English. Yeah stated explicitly we're standing in solidarity with black lives matter who also made this request that we abolish english as it's a racist imperial imperialistic so you know i know it's kind of like derek gear to say black lives matter and everybody is on board but very few people and some companies now are trying to distance themselves very inconspicuously from the black lives matter movement because they've read the charter they yeah. read the manifesto. They realize that this is a movement that will endorse the obliteration of uh, Walmart, Amazon, Starbucks. Well, what's you really, know. really interesting is Walmart contributed $100 million to them this week. Mm-hmm. $100 million. You've got Major League Baseball that has put the Black Lives Matter patch on every player's uniform, that yeah. has the Black Lives Matter insignia behind the pitcher's mound in every ballpark this weekend. And the Boston Red Sox, one of the iconic franchises in Major League Baseball, has a 250-foot banner stretched across her left field wall facing the highway that drives by the ballpark. And so, you know, and I don't know what, to me it occurs as pandering. I, I can't think it's anything other than that, you know? Well, it's people who think they want to be on the right side of history. But the, to show the total hypocrisy of this movement, yeah. look at the slaughterhouse that the, 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 the south side of Chicago is. Oh, I know. You know. Right? Look at the – and it's not – who is it? It's not people from Berwyn and, and no. people from Elgin and <laughs> no. people from Skokie coming in to kill black people. It is feral thug gang members yeah. who are shooting down innocent men, women, and children, blacks killing blacks. Yeah. And what – Black Lives Matter, completely silent on this issue. Yeah. Well, when as, you, I said in my, as I said in my book, if you really care about Black Lives Matter, take mm-hmm. your signs, Black Lives Matter leaders, and turn it inward to your communities. If you're really concerned about Black Lives Matter, you would realize that the genocide, and let me choose my word here very carefully, the hol- I'm not going to use the word Holocaust. Mm-hmm. It's going to get me in trouble. The genocide of Black people in this country yeah. is being inflicted on Black people by other Black people, yeah. not by the police not by white people. It is not white people that are coming into these areas and killing black people. It is black on black crime that is responsible 
for the deaths of these of, of blacks. Black Lives Matter, nothing to say on this issue. Well, because they're not they're just committed to making noise and disrupting. One of the one of the problems with the whole progressive Marxist, neo-Marxist movement is it's like all revolutionary movements. They just want to tear down what exists with no vision of the future. That's anarchy. Um, In my work in organizations of creating real cultural change and shifting organizations because they're committed to it, the first place you got to go to create change is look in the mirror. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to accept personal and individual responsibility. And one of the challenges that I see, you know, I've read white fragility. I've read how to be an anti-racist. I've read all these books, right? And I've got opinions on all of them and none of that matters. But one of the things that bugs me the most with Robin uh, D'Angelo's book is she talks about the, the getting away from individualism Mm -hmm. and what America's based on is individual sovereignty and freedom. And what, you know, what it's talking about is this blending all into one and that the individual individuality doesn't matter so much anymore. Right. It's insane. Well, I have mixed feelings about that book. I read it two times Did you? Uh, cause I, cause I'm using it in the new book I'm writing, mm-hmm. um, or that's coming out next year. No, there's actually and, a couple things in there I do like, but yeah. Yeah. It, there are a couple of things that I agree with, yeah. but, but, but the idea, again, the, 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 the attack against individualism, here's what's problematic about that. This, this attack on individualism. She's saying that individualism is a bad thing because if you're, if you're a white person and you think that you can abstract from your racist upbringing mm-hmm. and not be a racist, that you're wrong, which just seems to me like we're going to be fighting lice in a freaking vacuum. Exactly. That means everybody is a racist because they're white and because you're socialized as white, that you can't engage in some kind of introspective process and divest yourself of your racist tendencies or be vigilant. I don't like that. Let's get back. Let's talk about that in a break. We're going to have to take a break in a little bit, but let's talk about that when we get back, that that the, the idea that racism is in the air we breathe and the water we drink, right? That, that we can't help it, that it's inherent in all of us and it's unseen and, and, and nobody, you know, we just are that without, without question. Because I, 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 I just don't see that, you know? And I want to talk about that when we come back. But, uh, yeah, we got about one more minute for break. Is that cool? Don't yeah, that? sure. No, we can talk about it. Yeah, because yeah. I think that's I mean, important. Because I'm seeing what I'm seeing. I also want to talk about all the pandering that I'm seeing, which, which really to me is offensive. Because I think if there's anything that's racist, it's pandering to black folk um, to, to make them less upset as opposed to actually dealing with whatever issues exist. You know, that to mm-hmm. me is just, that is a height of offense, you know? Right. It's, right. it's like the guy blowing sunshine up his girlfriend's, you know, keister while he's cheating on her and, and pretending like he's not, you know? Mm-hmm. But... Mm-hmm. So we'll be back in two minutes, everybody. It's Mike Sherrick. It's Jason Hill. And this is Into the Gap on WCGO Chicago. Jason Hill here. And I want to let you know that you're listening to the podcast version of Into the Gap, which airs every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. Central on WCGO Radio. Tune in live from 1590 a.m. and 95.9 FM, the Smart Talk app. Tune in or WCGORadio.com. The podcast is available from Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Find it, rate it, and subscribe. If you'd like to get in touch about the show or inquire about sponsorship opportunities and rates, please reach out to my co-host Mike at MikeShrek 
at gmail.com. Dallas Cowboy Hall of Fame coach Tom Landry once said, a coach is someone who has you see what you don't want to see and has you hear what you don't want to hear so you can always be the person you knew yourself to be. Hello, I'm Mike Sherrick, founder and president of the Mike Sherrick Group and Mike Sherrick Coaching. We are an executive coaching and leadership development organization with offices in Berwyn, Illinois and Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Successful organizations begin with the self-awareness and authenticity of its leaders. And in today's world, we are all leaders. If you or your organization has a big vision, or you know there's another level you can go to, please give us a call at 630-643-6336. If you're one of the first three people who call us today, you will be eligible for a free IMX leadership assessment and debrief, a $550 value free to you and your organization. So give us a call at 630-643-6336 and take it on. Hey, we're back. This is Mike Sherrick, Jason Hill, and this is Into the Gap. And Yeah, Jay, we were talking about um, the idea that Robin D'Angelo brings up in her book, uh, White Fragility, that America is inherently racist. Right. Um, I, I. Well, yeah. Yeah, you know the whole idea of racism. I I, I understand the experience of of feeling it's racist, right? The subjective reality. I I'm not going to argue with that part, but someone else's subjective reality does not necessarily mean the overall system is that's accurate. It can be their right. experience without it being to the truth, right? Right. Um. And so I, I just see that, and, and I, I use the idea that there is no, if, if America is as racist as Robin D'Angelo press points to in her book, that, and like you said, there's no way we can get out of this. There is no way on God's green earth that Barack Obama is ever elected president. There just isn't any way. Well, it's, it, and there's no way that any kind of interdialogue between yeah. uh, you, our fellow, fellow compatriots can get underway if, if uh, and she goes further than this. I mean, she yeah. says that, um, you know, that um, white supremacy is intrinsic to Western, Western uh, civilization and that white supremacy itself is permeates American society. Now, I've gone to great lengths because mm-hmm. I've, I've been here for 35 years and I've studied yeah. American history. We do not have an ideology that posits the supremacy of the white race over yeah. other races as we once did in America, mm-hmm. right? America, America was founded on white supremacy. Let's be clear about that, Yeah. right? You have to demonstrate whiteness to, be, to, to gain citizenship. Mm-hmm. But what really, really annoys me is people who fail to look the journey the progress yes, that has been made that, that's the part that it's, makes me these crazy people, you know and even people who think that we're still living in mississippi circa 1950 yeah you know what they deserve to go back in a time machine and live in that era you know enormous progress since the 1964 civil rights act passed yes and blacks have enjoyed legal standing before the law you call a person the n-word in, in an office today and your career is ruined yeah Right. I work in the academy where I see that if you are a black man with a C average, they will send a, a freaking jet plane first <laughs> class to fly you out Yeah, to yeah. get you in. Yeah. So the idea that every single institution is somehow endemically, almost metaphysically mm-hmm. suffused with 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 racism and in and, and anathema to the interests of people of color 
to say nothing of transgender people. Yeah. Transgender people today are of, of color. If you're a trans, if you're a trans woman of color today in America, mm-hmm. in academia, oh, you are you are treated with reverence. Yeah. Our society is much, much more complicated. And what really upsets me is when people resort to this these kind of simplistic trope-like methods of thinking and superimpose it on society. Yeah. I want to say get out into the real world, look at institutions, look at the changes and the progress that have been made over the years in this country. Yeah. I, I, I had which this. Had... To, which Mike, Mike is not to deny that individual, that they're not stupid individuals who don't commit acts of racism and degrade oh, and of, the of black, black people every day. Of course there are. Of course there are. There's, hap- there, there's ignorant people out there. But, you know, one of the things, I, I had a guy in my office yesterday who basically was yelling at me and telling me because I was white, I was male, and I was American, that I had no say in anything anymore, you know? And I'm like, uh, there was just nothing to say. And if you look at, look at, look at the founders of our country, right? They were all white. They were all male. And look at the change that was created by what they created. Like you're pointing yes. to the process, right? It's and, a process. And, and, and think about the, the level of thinking they had to endure. It would have been real easy to just be dumb and just keep things the same, right? Right, right. But that's really why this country was created. This country was created to get away from monarchies and parliamentary law so that people could be governed, like, so we the people can be self-governing. And we have a say in the way we are. And it's not perfect. Because yeah. this is the only place in the world this is done. It is a complete and utter work in process throughout time. It's never yeah. going to be complete. And yes. because it's never g- going to be complete, and because it's about we the people, and people, human beings are flawed, there's always going to be flaws. Yeah. There's always going to be. And the flaws are the opportunity for us to create the change and to move forward and to develop and to be creative and innovative and create new opportunities. Yeah. That's the beauty of it, you know? So that's the part that that's the part I find so disheartening, I think is the best word I can use. You yeah. know? And and it makes me sad. And it yeah. makes me sad to see all these people who unthinkingly fall in line like a bunch of baby ducks, right? Mm-hmm. And become the great white woke. Right. And just, oh, you got to read Robin DeAngelo's book. You got to read how to be an anti-racist. You got to do this. You got to do that. I don't have to do anything. But what I have to do is be responsible for my actions and I have to pay attention and I have to listen to what's going on. And I, I, I am listening to what's going on and I'm uncomfortable with much of it right now. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm un- uncomfortable watching the New York Yankees and the Washington Nationals play the first game of the year and having every single player kneel. For the, for the national anthem, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I'm uncomfortable mm-hmm. watching Anthony Fauci throw out the first pitch in the most horrible way possible. Like bounces about 45 feet in, you know? Uh, that was a joke. But anyway, it just, yeah, I don't know, man. It just, it just, it just is, uh, occurs a little bit crazy to me, you know? And I, I just, there's nothing in my DNA where I will ex- ever accept being called a racist. It would be, mm-hmm. It would be offensive to my parents for who they were and how they were raised and what they did in their lives. And as wacky as they were, they were two of the most respectful human beings of other human beings, you know? 
Well, here's the deal, Mike. You know, and I've 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 gone through years of psychotherapy and psychoanalysis, mm-hmm. uh, and so I know a lot about therapy. Mm-hmm. I think that most people have a hard time even understanding themselves. Yeah, understanding. Oh, no this is the beauty of therapy: understanding yeah. their own psyche. For me to have the temerity now to just look at somebody and ostensibly point at them and say, "You are white." Therefore, you must be a racist because you are socialized mm-hmm. in a race because racism saturates the air and you cannot get rid. It's not only sanctimonious and self-righteous. Mm-hmm. There's a kind of hubris because yeah. most of us, most of us don't even know what's going on in our consciousness. Oh, I know. Much I... less to much less to sort of take the temerity to think that we can know what's going on in the mm-hmm. consciousness of another human being and then indict them on certain charges mm-hmm. of which we have no evidence. My premise mm-hmm. is that you're innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. When you display racist actions towards me, yeah. when you treat me, when you compromise my dignity, when you when you eviscerate me of my dignity mm-hmm. and you do things that suggest to me that you are judging me on the basis of my skin color yeah. and my ethnic background, then in my eyes, you're racist. But it is a horrible, cynical, yeah. mean-spirited way to live in a society where you just automatically condemn your fellow compatriot as a racist that's 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 a form of racism because they are white and they were raised right in a socialized in you know you know you know you know you know in a racist environment now i will say that it's you know the, having lived here it is kind of true that historically mm-hmm. i don't see this among the progressives the z generation yeah. but historically whites have been socialized uh to sort of see blacks as less than historically because mm-hmm. my kids the, the z generation coming up the progressives certainly don't have that kind of socialization at all mm-hmm. um but even if i grant you the premise that this is the case mm-hmm. it still does not say anything about you see i'm a rugged intransigent individualist it doesn't say anything yeah. about that individual and that individual and that individual who has the capacity to even reflect on not his racist or her racist upbringing, but the background of this, the background of her or of his or her socialization, yeah. and to divest him or herself of those attitudes and to reflect on them and say, you know, I see racist impulses coming up in me now. Let me take a check stock of myself. We do, Mike. We do this all the times with anger impulses. We all have homicidal impulses, right? <laughs> More now than ever, man. Um, right. Do we do we go and murder everybody that no. we that that right? No. So we 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 check ourselves because we're not feral creatures, most of us, and we say, okay, I'm really angry right now because it's a human emotion. Yeah. And I want to kill this this person. Yeah. Uh, you know, I want to harm this person, but I, I I'm not I'm going to control myself. You know, Jay, you, you bring up two things that I think are really, really important. The first one is the socialization, right? And we're all socialized. I grew up in, a, in an area where there, I, I didn't meet my first black person until I was 18, okay? Like, I mean, my favorite ball players were, were black, you know, I, you know, m- much of the music I listened to was, was black music, Motown, you know? But I didn't know anyone or meet anyone who was black until I was 18 years old. Yeah. Um, so, and when you're, when you're socialized like that, there's gonna be an inherent bias, Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, I said, oh, you're a black person. For me, it was curiosity more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but inevitably, that there's a bias there. there there's a not knowing and ignorance, uh, you know, something, right? So yes. we've got that part. The other thing we've got is what you, what you talked about earlier. 
is most human beings have a very low understanding of self. And I I can show you all kinds of documents on it. It's the work I do. You know, Mm -hmm. I I give every person I work with a, 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 it's called an IMX assessment. And I can see instantly what their relationship is with themselves versus the external world. Most people have a far greater relationship with the external world than they do with the world themselves, with understanding themselves. You know, most people are not aware. Most of the work I do is in raising the awareness because without the awareness, without raising the awareness of who you are, there is no way you can make a difference or shift anything in the external world. Otherwise, you're victim to everything and everything's just at at the effect. So so I agree with you. And I I think the work that there needs to be done is this uh, this need for people to really understand who they are, to raise the self-awareness to raise the self-understanding and self-knowing before we can do anything. That's the first place to go to work. And mm-hmm. that's what's really missing. And that's based in individualism. And that's why the whole, there's a lot of great stuff in, in her book, but that's the part that just irritates the crap out of me is this wanting to remove individualism. So Yeah, yeah. Um, listen, we're going to have to take another break in a couple seconds, but uh, thanks so much. This conversation is awesome today, man. Yeah, um, yeah. I, w- I want to make one more point about the book when we come back. Yeah, when we get break. back. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk yeah. about it when we get back, okay? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, yeah. So, everybody, we'll be back in two minutes. This is Mike Sherrick. It's Jason Hill. This is Into the Gap. This is WCGO Chicago. And really, I really appreciate everyone listening. And if you want to call in in the last segments, 877-711-5611. Hey, we're back. This is Mike Sherrick. Jason Hill. This is Into the Gap. So, Jay, you said you wanted to touch base on uh, well, Robin DeAngelis. Well, I think on, from a historical perspective, some of the, the ways in which he's pointed out, for example, that America has had to... Uh, shape certain narratives to preserve its its, its innocence uh, mm-hmm. are uh, it's true like you know she makes a particular point that uh, saying that Jackie Robinson broke the color line makes it sound as if there were no qualified players before Jackie Robinson which preserves a kind of innocence American innocence instead of saying Jackie Robinson was the first black person that white that whites allowed to play baseball I, it, right so there, there's a way in which there's a way in which that's kind of true i mean or saying that you know this person broke the color line kind of puts the onus on the per on the race itself like there were no qualified oh. people before jay and, I, uh, I you know what i kind of disagree with you and well look i'll disagree with you quali- quali- qualifyingly if that's sort of word you know okay. um anybody who's a baseball fan like a real baseball fan yeah knows the story of jackie robinson and knows that jackie robinson was probably of the players that could have played in the big leagues mm-hmm. was from a talent standpoint, mm-hmm. maybe not in the top 10. There were, there were a number of players, Josh Gibson, for one, the catcher was mm-hmm. far better. The black Babe Ruth, far, far superior player, probably the best baseball player ever. Anybody who's ever like that's really follows the game and knows the game knows the truth of that and knows the story that branch Ricky and, and, and part of what went on, Branch Rickey was um, this, this he, he was, a, a again, another guy who was pragmatic. And what he knew is that if they brought a black player in and he failed and couldn't handle the ridicule, that th- it would be difficult to bring another player in for a while. So what was most important was he looked for the character and the background and the, the gumption. Jackie Robinson was a tough SOB. He was, he, as, as a matter of fact, from studying him, his character was much like yours, Jay. There was nothing that was going to keep him down, you know? And he was not the most talented player, black player in baseball. I mean, 
And, and then after he came up, then Larry Dolby came up, and then a whole bunch of other guys came up. But, you know, he, it, like, it was a test. They were, these guys were swimming upstream. But that proves my point. Why, was, why, were, why weren't blacks allowed to play in Major League before that? Because why of, weren't they allowed to play in the 1920s? The 19th, because of racism. The of the century? Because of racism, that, of course, yeah. But that's, not, that, that's, that's the point I'm trying to make. Oh, okay. We yeah. frame the narrative in a yeah. certain way. By, instead of just saying the truth, mm-hmm. he was the first person that white people allowed to play baseball. That's the truth. Yeah. I mean, why, why, why weren't there black people before him that were allowed to play baseball? Why did we wait? You know, when people say this is the first black person to break the color line, I'm always very suspicious. And I always say, no, that's the first black person that whites institutionally have okay. allowed because there might have been more qualified blacks that just weren't there were... allowed to enter the field. Well, and you, you and know that's why? Just, that's just the truth. Well, in, in the truth, the reason was because many of those players we're from the southern part of the United States, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, right? And the way they communicated and the way they carried themselves was not would not fit into "quote unquote" white culture. And Jackie Robinson was raised in, I think he was raised in Pasadena, California, mm-hmm. you know, and was a graduate of USC, you know. He could have played professional football, which was already integrated, you know. It it it. I think when you look at how base what. Baseball, God, we could talk for days on baseball and what baseball means. Um, Because baseball, especially then, was kind of the the idea of America, you know? And it was was not real America, but it was like the ideals of it. And it it kept a lot of that thinking down. Um, But I think the the point is that there were just racist superstructures in place. And I think that's the point she's trying to make. And I think that's, that's just undeniable. Well, yeah, of course. So, when, Listen, so when, I, I, people, yeah. when people say that they that that's just not the case, that as an independent conservative and a person of color, you're going to lose me there. You, you're 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 losing your credit. People are going to lose their credibility because they were racist. I mean, I as a black man could not be teaching philosophy at DePaul today. I've been there twenty years in 1935 or 1945. Why? Not because I wouldn't have been qualified, but because I wouldn't have been permitted to even probably do a PhD at somewhere like an institution of my choosing. So there just have been historically these, of and course. that was systemic racism, where there are institutional barriers that barred women and, and people of color from entering into certain institutions. If you grew up in Jim Crow, if I grew up in Jim Crow, if I, if I were to have grown up in Jim Crow and I said I wanted to be a philosopher, mm-hmm. I would have been told, no, a better a better path for you to choose young man is to be a pastor or to be a high school teacher or to work in an auto plant or to know? work in an auto plant that's, yeah I, I mean that's, Jay, that's racism that those are racist structures that prevent people who are qualified who have the ability oh, uh, from course. entering into a field of course it is i mean um i've told you i was born in the jim crow south i remember the whites only bathrooms i, I think that speaks to the change to the thing you were talking about earlier the progress we've made throughout yeah. history right and, yeah. and, 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 and the thing is too, I, I think the whole idea, everybody involved in the, the Jackie Robinson story from Jackie Robinson to his bride, to Branch Rickey, to his teammates on the Dodgers, to all these people, right. To the citizens of, of Brooklyn that embraced him, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I think everybody knew this was a time coming. This was a change that needed to be made. There was a lot of opposition to it mm-hmm. and it took courage by a lot of people, particularly Jackie Robinson, Jackie Robinson's wife, and Branch Rickey, 
you know? Uh, the, 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 thing that, the thing that I'm, I'm uh, blown away by, uh, Jay, is, is as late as the 1970s in Chicago, after the, the Civil Rights Act, right, there, mm-hmm. were, there were hotels and restaurants and bars that major league players and entertainers couldn't go to in downtown Chicago that they mm-hmm. had to stay on the south side. Right. I had no right. idea of this. Yeah. You know, this was in the 70s, like 72, 73 still. Yes, of course. You know, so there's, there's progress that's being made. Unfortunately, it doesn't get made as quickly as we want it to. But, but typically the progress is made by the, the fo- realizing the folly of the status quo right. and how it doesn't serve anyone, right. you know, and we've got to be able to articulate that. Right. And, and, and before we can articulate, we've got to bring it out to the surface, right. you know. Um, so, what, so my gross with a lot of conservatives yeah. as a person of color is who deny this, the system, the, the, the systemic history of racism in this country and yeah. how there can be still remnants residual effects of it in our lives today i don't want to categorically say that yeah that that that's not the case right there has been systemic racism and there are residual effects however we have to look at the progress that has been made and how institutions since the 1964 civil rights act has been passed yeah institutional changes i mean radical institutional changes have been made Especially for women, the mm-hmm. the major beneficiaries of affirmative action are not black people. It's, it's it was white middle class women. Yeah. Right. So there are systemic changes, mm-hmm. systemic changes that have been institutionally made yeah. that make it very very problematic now to say that systemic racism suffuses and permeates every aspect of America. Yeah. I I just I just don't see it, and there is definitely individual offenders, you know. And, 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 and there may be smaller institutions out there that do have, you know, I'm not saying that there's not a small police department out there that doesn't abuse things and, or a small business that doesn't, you know, uh, do ignorant things. But yeah, yeah, man. Well, hey, listen, man, we're, we got about 45 seconds left. Um, it's been great. It's been great. I hope, yeah. I hope people got value from this conversation. I hope it, the intention of all this stuff is so that people start seeing things that look different. That's that's really what we're here for. And open up the channels of communication. You know, that's exactly spoke, it. calling everybody a racist is not gonna get us anywhere. No, not at all. You, know, you make people defensive and they don't want to talk. It's gonna piss me off. That's all it's gonna do. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So Jay, thank you for so much. Thanks to Nancy, our producer, and Randall's here, and always our guy Andy, and, and thanks to all you out there listening to us. It's uh it's a blessing to be able to do this. Thank so, you. Thanks, my brother. Week. I'll see you soon. See you next week. We're out of here. This is Mike J. This is Into the Gap. This is WCGO Chicago. See ya. Bye.